On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're all scything elbows and fists like hams as Hobo Man Mountain Jack Reacher makes his small screen debut on Prime Video. Plus, we're watching people watching porn in sex tape drama Pam and Tommy on Star and looking at pictures of a rather less graphic nature, but in a rather more creepy way in social media stalker series Chloe on BBC One. And, and not only that, but guests include Tiffany Haddish, who stops by to talk to Beth about the after party and Mackenzie Davis, who joins us on the show to talk performing Shakespeare during the apocalypse. Her Leah was the toast of Croydon. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has once again forged a path through the foot-deep snows of modern TV scheduling, braving such hazards as bears, wolves, and unexpected ambushes by a room full of people bearing birthday cake. With me, of course, are my two co-hosts, the Jeeves and Worcester of modern TV journalism, Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb, a woman who, and this is absolutely true, literally just said to me, can anyone hear my cat's drinking fountain? (laughs) (laughs) Which is perhaps the best sentence I've ever heard. (laughs) I mean, I've got no comeback. I've got no comeback for it. She's just, she's been very poorly and um, has not been able to sort of assist herself in eating and drinking so we've got a little fountain up for her it's a it's adorable it's the stuff of disney um but it is trickling away in the background like a little stream um which is both adorable and also makes you want to pee about every 25 minutes so <laughs> i'll probably be jumping out <laughs> very we must shortly. get one of these i, I, I feel like i feel the- i need a cat drinking fountain yeah. in my life is the cat peeing though every twenty minutes? That's the question. Yes, ah, <laughs> we're okay. all going. We're all going at the same right. time. She'll run off to it. Yeah, it's all what, go. What is the cat called? Have we asked this before? Uh, I don't know if we have. She's called okay. Risky. Little Risky. Risky. Yeah. Risky, Risky the cat. Is, is there a story behind the name? Not really. We just thought right. it was a great name, but we did. Funny Boyd said that for for Halloween we did dress her up as Risky Business. She had a little oh. shirt and tie, um, which was <laughs> not the not the wife, not the wife fronts, not the pants, not the Tom Cruise pants. Friends. No, okay. no, no. We've okay. got let have some dignity, Boyd. No, yeah. she had a little collar dignity and tie. All, dignity at all times for Risky the cat. <laughs> Wow, amazing! Yep. Risky business indeed. Boy, do you have any animal drinking fountains in your no, general but you, vicinity? But you, but you probably not noticed that the I had my own trickling water issue, of course, in recent <laughs> weeks with with this with the running cistern. Remember, you did, yes, yeah, I had the running cistern issue, which which miraculous, not miraculously, which an actual plumber has fixed. An actual plumber has yeah. actually fixed it. Yeah, I got hold. Oh, this the, is glorious. Plumbers are are the most rare beasts. In in 2022, um, oh, Britain, due to various reasons. Oh, oh, someone's got a visitor. Oh, yeah, that'll be the person I ordered to save me from your tedious <laughs> plumbing anecdote. <laughs> My Hang on a second. Plumbing story can have to wait. Wait for no man. Yeah. <laughs> obviously a package of uh, Expanse DVDs. Did you get this sci-fi free gift that he got? He got like a big, beautiful um, no. blanket. And then Ooh. this like mystery object that we don't really understand that we think might be a tray. We don't wow. know. No. I'll, I'll give it to show it to you. It's what really it weird. Promoting what? I don't know. Oh, amazing. Just, just the sci-fi channel. We're just talking about your mystery tray. Yeah, so so this is a tray of some description <laughs> which came to me in a big box and it is a, to do with uh, with Resident Alien on wow. Sci-Fi Channel and Astrid and Lily Save the World which is a new show on Sci-Fi and I can't work out what this is like it's a <laughs> is it what uh, is it One, it's black it's like a black it's an, an irregular octagonal tray 
Yeah. With two like clasps on the bottom, which have very powerful yeah. springs in them. So you couldn't use this to stand it up and it doesn't really fit on your lap. So I'm like, are these supposed to grip my leg? Like, I think, it, I think it's, meant to, it's probably meant to grip the side of your sofa, is my guess. So you can have TV dinner, watch using the tray. Oh, maybe. that'll be yeah. it. It's definitely yeah. cracked. Oh, that. boy, yeah. you yeah. cut straight to it. That's what it is. It you goes see? on the arm of the sofa. Yes. Oh, there we go. Mystery yes. solved. Mystery yeah. solved. They sent me a very nice blanket here with a very large open weave. Amazing. I mean, it's, I'm glad that you get freebies as well. As I've still got my Lord of the Rings book to give you, of course. Yes, yes, you from, do. I, I'll swap Amazon you for, Prime, for an arm tray. From Prime Video, <laughs> I have the blanket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These came all the way from America as well. Wow. It's probably a yeah. throw. I'm guessing it's a throw, James. Oh, it's a throw, not a yes, blanket. Yes. What's the difference? Again, you, you toss that on your sofa. I um, see, I yeah, see. So it's all yeah. really just to outfit my sofa. So I give it a throw. It's sofa-based it activity, yeah. That's what I, it see, is. I see, I yeah. see. Okay, this is good. they sent me a coaster as well. Have we done best Oof. and worst freebie gifts? Or is that has that been done on... Um... We've done it a number of times on Empire. Right. I don't know that we've ever done it on Pilot. But then okay. having said that, I don't get sent, this aside, I don't get sent an awful lot of TV-related stuff. Oh, I do. Yeah, um, me neither. Okay. This is just going to be me just, going on about it. Just boys. <laughs> and we had an excellent... We, in fact, did, we, I, I seem to recall we did this segment on the Empire podcast, which is the famous episode where Beth's parents turned up to oh. talk yeah. about... Yes. Because Beth's dad is a film critic as well. How, yes. He was talking about some of the stuff that he got for such wonderful films as Free Willy back in the day. Um, <laughs> Free Willy, babe. <laughs> I'm getting a Pam and Tommy gift next week and I, I oh, dare to imagine what that's going to be. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, well, I mean, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about that what later. What does a yeah. Pam and Tommy media drop look <laughs> yeah. like? Oh I mean, God. I can't eat. That's a difficult needle to thread, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. In terms of taste? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think we're beyond taste now. I think, you know, I'm it's fully porn. It's going to be porn. They're going to send you porn. It's got to yeah. be yeah. some kind of cake porn. Porn cake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's either going to be something boob-related or porn-related. <laughs> like, I can't. Related. I don't know where else they go. Or mullet-related, quite frankly. Yes, oh, yes. Okay. Or talking penis-related. Okay. But we'll get yeah. onto that. Talking yeah. penis with a mullet. I think yeah. it's going to yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm with that. And and uh, made into a cake. So that that would yeah. be good. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know what's been happening there. But what have we been doing? You know. For the past week. Ooh. Well, I have been watching. I'm watching. You know. Do you remember when? Um, when uh, Terry used to be on the podcast, and she would I, like, I often, do recall her, yeah, yeah, yeah. she would often um, have a show that she would uh, work watch week by week live on live TV, like as a treat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than binge on the whole thing, even if it's available. And I'm mm. doing that with um, the Bay. So seriously, with the Bay, which I think I mentioned last week, she didn't have time to review. Um, but it is one of my favourite ITV on recurring returning dramas. And this current series is fantastic, as good as ever, possibly even better than ever. And uh, I'm doing, watching it live on live ITV week by week. Um, so yesterday, Wednesday night, it was episode three. There was a big development at the end, a big kind of attack, knife attack situation. It's dealing with um, a Muslim family and all that involves. There's a character, there's a deaf character, which is really interesting. It's a sign language. And I've seen a lot of the sign language using community on Twitter talking about how great it is that, 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 that these characters are there using sign language with each other. Um, so it's just a really smart, really well-written um, it's a great mystery. I've no idea what the fuck's going on. Uh, so halfway through. So I'm really enjoying that. And the thing that I've been... Uh, as a show that I've watched that we couldn't review due to um, due to embargo reasons and because I forgot to put it on the um, list, the planning list, right until the last minute to annoy you, James, was The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window, yes. which 
is on Netflix now. It's, it will have started started on Jan 28th, dropped on Jan 28th. This is the spoof of all of those types of mystery crime thriller things which involve women staring out of the window at the neighbours wondering what the fuck's going on and have they spotted a murder or whatever and it's a melange of lots of different of those types of things as that title deliberately clunky title would suggest um and i have to say i'm disappointed I'm up to, yeah, I'm up to episode three i think there are eight off the top of my head you know the problem with it is it's that it's trying to be, it's trying to take the piss out of this genre, which is great. Because I love, I kind of, I find that genre really entertaining anyway. Even the terrible mm. elements of that, elements in that genre. I'm like, bring it on, I'm entertained by all these things. It's trying to, but the thing about that genre is that it, they're quite, they're kind, it kind of relies on a quite a slow narrative unfolding and quite a, quite a steady kind of um introduction to the characters and they're often like they kind of you know they they take their time basically to establish an atmosphere and a setting you know the suburban setting and they and they steadily bring all the different characters and suspects in and this is kind of going along at that kind of pace which doesn't really work when it's trying yeah. to be quite a wacky you know, spoofy comedy, out-and-out comedy. So even though Kristen Bell's the main character, she's really good, Tom Riley's in it, who I love is always great, but it's kind of unfolding really slowly and it hasn't got enough fucking jokes. So, like, minutes go by where it's exposition and it's... And there's a kind of running joke, for example, that she she has to have a massively full bottle of... glass of red wine at all times. And there's some funny stuff, about, visual stuff, about her tipping the, the bottle of red wine into the cup and literally getting, reaching right to the top and will it go over <laughs> and all that. And that goes on. And there's, she pours herself a glass of wine every 10 minutes. And that's quite funny. But yeah. the actual... The rest of the jokes are too are taking too long to arrive and the characters aren't intrinsically funny enough for that not to matter so i'm going to make i'm going to persevere with it cuz basically comedy who done it thrillers are one of my favorite genres of all but it's taking its sweet old time and it needs to mm. it, it needs to pick up the pace otherwise it's going to go horribly wrong that's so strange because the joke counts in those spoof films. I mean, I'm thinking of everything from like Airplane Two. Yeah, because they came they came together with Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, which I really loved. It's relentless. The joke counts. It's, exactly. it's like you blink and you're onto another joke. So it's very yeah. strange that they've they've it's gone weird. that way instead. It's weird. Yeah. It's got to be like that. Yeah, exactly. That is yeah. Airplane is the template, you know, and, yeah. and you know, and, and bring them on, you know. Hot shots, all those things, and it's trying to be in that tonally like that, but it's just taking. It's just slow. Yeah, it's an. It's 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 wrong headed. <laughs> it's my feeling. <laughs> well, I'm not sorry we missed it then. <laughs> yeah. Um, I took Boy's recommendation this week and started Archive eighty one. Oh. And oh my god, I yeah. love it. It's great, I love isn't it. it. It's Good. really scratching that itch where Yellow Jackets is finished. Um. Just everything in it is extremely my vibe. The interiors, those gorgeous like interiors. So I mean, we covered kind of the plot and where it was going and last week, and it's kind of in in lieu of like sensor, and it's got this wonderful kind of again, it's got that multi timeline thread again, which is what which is what Yellow Jackets had. But I'm very here for it. The aesthetic, the score is amazing. Like you were saying, I haven't seen um, Mamadou Afia much, but he is great mm. in this. One of those. He's so good. So good. One of those great faces where he doesn't say very much, but is able to hold a lot in his expressions. Um, 
very 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 cool yeah I'm, I'm pleased this is kind of rolled in at this time in my life because i miss me yellow jacket girls i miss them so much um so I'm, I'm pleased to have something like this to keep me going um so that's been me this week really i haven't watched much else um i've mainlined all of pam and tommy so that i can come fully equipped for our review later uh i will say no more on that um but yeah that's been my big my big ones this week so I've I've been watching stuff that uh, well I've been watching stuff I can't talk about largely. So <laughs> I've I've watched most of Suspicion, which is out this week, but we can't mm. talk about it this week because it's embargoed until the day of airing. So we'll mm. be reviewing that next week. But I have I've watched almost all of that, and I will have seen all of that by the time we review it. Um, I've also been watching the new. So okay, so let me see if I can get this right. So this is season eleven A part two <laughs> of The Walking Dead. So The Walking Dead, uh, the eleventh season is always. I mean, The Walking Dead is always split into two bits, A and B. But this time it's split into two bits and then another two parts. So it's in four bits. And uh, so this is the second bit of the first half of the last season of The Walking Dead. Uh, and I watched a couple of episodes of that, which again I can't talk about because it's embargoed. Um, but what I did watch and what I do want to talk about a little bit is the mandalorian oh sorry i misspoke i mean the book of boba fett so uh if anyone's seen the most recent fifth episode of the book of boba fett or the book of mandalorian depending on what you want to call it um we talk about this at length on the spoiler special podcast so you've probably already heard me hear me back up but assuming assuming that you do not subscribe to the spoiler special podcast and if not why not empire slash spoiler specials um it's a it's a weird one like it was a it's obviously it's the best episode of the book of boba fett so far by a country mile but the reason why it is the best episode of the book of boba fett by far is because fucking boba fett isn't in it <laughs> and it's <laughs> all about the mandalorian so what hey. this is in a single episode is essentially the mandalorian season 2.5 right like it's it's this is this is what we've been waiting for and it's a really funny thing because yes it's brilliant but in many ways it ruins the book of boba fett because it shows you exactly why the Book of Boba Fett shouldn't exist. Because the thing is, it's not that good. He's not that compelling a character. Because because we've already got, we've already got, like, Boba Fett was a character who looked cool. Yeah? He was a good but there wasn't really much more to him than that. And we've already got Mando, who looks cooler and mm. is interesting and does interesting things. And then we feel like we've regressed in the Book of Boba Fett by then looking at the original, slightly shitter version of Mando. And he's not doing much. And he's never leaving Tatooine. And he's quite ineffectual. And then you bring in Mando and you're like, oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for all along, you know, from the musical cues to the discussion of Baby Yoda. To, I mean, all the stuff you want from Mando is in that episode. Also, there is more plot in this one episode than in the previous four put together. Like, tons of stuff happens. So is Baby Yoda in it? Baby Yoda is not in it. Okay. Because obviously Baby Yoda is off with Luke Skywalker. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But Mando's, Mando's flying solo at the moment. Ah. But, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I mean, I anyone who it. doesn't realise that Mando is in this hasn't been on social media yeah. but, but it's just it's such a good episode of television but it's not the book of Boba Fett it's the Mandalorian well I totally dropped Weird. out after the first three yeah, episodes I, I was like I, I've fair. had enough I don't blame you I'm so I was so bored and uninterested um, that I had to I, literally I'm not carrying on so now you've completely um yeah, you've completely reversed that. I'm going to have to watch it well, now. Because even cool. if you don't watch any of the other Boba Fetts, you have to watch episode five because it's essentially an episode of The Mandalorian, yeah. uh, and it's really good. And I don't know if Mando, to what extent Mando will be in the because the, there are two more episodes to book of Boba Fett to go. I don't know to what extent Mando will be in those. Um, but yeah, this. I mean, so so like I say, on the one hand, it was brilliant. On the other hand, it ruined the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> 
I mean, did it ruin it when it was already so bad? Really? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Mm. I th- I just think he's he's a much more compelling character. And someone pointed this out. So Joe Robinson from Vanity Fair pointed this out when she was talking about uh, Book of Boba Fett. That one of the reasons it doesn't work is because. Boba Fett's this very stoic character, and Fennec Shand is this very stoic character, and you have them together being stoic, and it's like, that's not a great pairing. That's not what great comedy gold comes from. I just I think because they're both quite laconic and a little bit dull isn't the word, but you know what I mean. Mm. And I just I don't think it works on so many levels. I don't think it works. Can I also point out that this episode you're talking about has been directed mm. by Bryce Dallas Howard? It has, and indeed. not. Robert Rodriguez. Yes. And now I, mean, I wasn't going to say that. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can, you know, I'm sure you're covering this in depth in the spoiler special, but basically. And we Robert, do, of course, mention it, yes. Basically, Robert Rodriguez is a fucking doofus, isn't he? I mean, let's face it. <laughs> he really is. Wow. Oh, Shots well, fired. Shots fired. I'm sorry. Um, but I think that makes a big difference. Well, what was he, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Bryce yeah, I mean, out. She's brought it, it back. To be, to be fair, to, you know, like, she has a lot more to work with in this because better character, different settings different places different visuals there's a lot more going on visually anyway but again she has these lovely little shots in there like beautiful little you know like when she was doing the mando when she did that reference to apollo 13 there's a couple of lovely sort of references to other films and stuff mm. that she does in this using you know with some of the arrangements she puts together uh yeah it's 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 got a lot of flair and panache and cool and really all of the attributes that the main show has been missing thus far um so if you've given up on the book of boba fett Go back and watch episode five. Just do it. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. Um, What else have I been watching? Well, actually, I watched all of one of the shows we're going to be reviewing later on today. But let's leave that for now. Uh, And let's talk about it in the reviews section, I think. Mm. Are there any other shows you wish to champion before we move on to this week's first guest? No, I'm just looking at Robert Rodriguez's filmography. Oh, my God, it's terrible. So anyway, carry on. (laughs) I will will go to bat for Desperado and Dust Till Dawn. Okay. That's but, it. But Spy sure. Kids 2, okay. 3, 4. <laughs> Not so much. Anyway, then. carry on. All right. So, so our first guest this week is Tiffany Haddish, the star of such films as Girls Trip and Like a Boss, but who is currently on our screens as Detective Dana, working Dave Franco's murder at the heart of the kind of multi-genre spanning comedy, The After Party, which is currently on Apple TV+. Uh, while not part of the official investigation, Tiffany did come by to interrogate Beth. Now, look... I'm not just saying this is the best interview we've ever run on the Pilot TV podcast. This may, in fact, be the greatest interview of all time. It is something, I don't know quite how to describe it. It's pretty incredible. All I'm going to say is, strap in, it's going to be a ride. Tiffany Haddish and Beth. How's it going, Tiffany? Hey, I'm happy to be alive. I'm successful. It's going great. How are you? How are you doing? successful as well you were live too be blessed i'm alive too last time i checked i'm here good good you're blessed (laughs) and where am i speaking to you from today where are you um i'm sitting in a hotel room in front of this laptop in the state of georgia oh no all right i mean the less said about that the better but (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i'm thrilled to be talking to you about this show it's such an amazing I, I mean I love Chris Miller and I know you've worked with him before for um the Lego movie Lego movie I mean, yes yeah what, what was your aside from that what was your relationship like 
uh, with his work before you came on board? Uh, but before I came on board, my relationship with his work was quite tumultuous. Uh, had a lot of questions. I was very confused about a lot of things. Uh, I really wanted to get down to the nitty gritty of who he is and why he and Lord do what they do. You know, um, very confused. Like, where where is this creativity coming from? I love it. I love his work. I love his his partners. I love what they do. Um, and been a big fan from day one, and have been wanting to work with them since I've learned about them. And then when they invited me to do Lego Movie Two, I was like, what? <laughs> like, and they we instantly clicked. Like. Those recording sessions were so much fun. They let me play. They gave me guidelines. And, and for me, you know, to be able to work with someone who lets me play a little bit, also give me a challenge, that right there is nothing. That That's what art's about, you know, is where you get to have fun, but also challenge yourself and grow. And I feel like that is what, you know, Chris and Lord bring to the table, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I think that really comes through in the script as well, which has just everything like comedy. It's got that real mystery element to it. It's got music. Um, but I love how robust and beautifully rounded all the characters were. And I wondered what was your when you first read your part? I mean, how did you see her? What were your first impressions? When I first read my part. OK, so I know lots. When I first read my part, I was like, oh, I know exactly what detective this is. I've. <laughs> Run into her several times uh, over my life. Uh, you know, I grew up in South Central LA, so it's kind of hard to avoid detectives in that realm. <laughs> in that realm, in that community uh, at the time when I was growing up anyways. And so um, I was like, oh, I, I get who she is. I know what she wants to do, you know? And, you know, she just, she, she just wants to solve cases, bring, you know, be the best she can be and protect her community, right? And be of service. Uh, and that's, I feel like that's kind of who I am, you know? I just want to be the best I can be, be of service to my community, you know, um, and don't let anything bad happen on purpose. <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. I mean, as well, but you you do have this like slightly heightened ability to her, which makes her so entertaining. Were there any on-screen detectives that you ever watched or loved kind of growing up that you kind of channeled into this role? Girl, I used to watch all the detective shows, okay? Uh, Murder, She Wrote, that's me. Cagney <laughs> uh, and Lacey, that's me. Uh, oh, Chips, I used to watch Chips all the time. Oh my gosh, that's back when I was younger. I used to think all white people lived in TV. And whenever I would see the police, I'd be like, they're going to die from chips. Like, I used to think that all the police officers that I've seen in my community was on chips. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. Uh, no, I was shit. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, but yeah, those were like my favorites growing up. And then, you know, Dexter was one of my really favorite shows. And then First 48, that's my jam, Cops. You know, like these are all shows I've been watching for years, forever. Um, and and just to hear, you know, just watching their adventures on a daily basis. And then it, let's let's really get into it. I dated many police officers in my twenties. Mm. Yes, and I've been married a retired police officer. You know, I have I had an affinity for the law. <laughs> that is unexpected, but I love it. <laughs> it's the truth. Okay. You know who get along the best? 
<laughs> you know the game, cops and robbers. Hello. <laughs> I mean, we've got to talk about this cast who are just peerless. And I really love, we're really excited that Jamie Demetrio is getting his big American break. I mean, I, I have to know what life is like on set with you guys. And were you filming on lockdown as well? Were you kind of all in together or? Yeah, we definitely were filming on lockdown. And it was funny because they tried to keep us apart, but we were. Right. Oh, God. Tiffany, stop being a snitch. <laughs> but <laughs> they tried to keep us apart, but you can't keep what's real apart. Uh, and Jamie, don't get me started on Jamie because I feel like. I feel like we was flirting, but we wasn't flirting because we both have our own little relationships. But at the same time, there was something there. I feel like it was something there. But then I'm like, are we are we just joking around or is this real? I don't know. But the after party group text is off the chain. I'm going to tell you that. It is sometimes I might slide off into an individual text here and there, but it's something real sexy about Jamie. And that's all I'm going to say. I mean, I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you there. So you think well, he's sexy too? It's not I just me. Yeah. No, there is there is a cuteness to him, I will say. Um, absolutely. Now, the cute, cute's not sexy. See, cute, cute. You cute. You wouldn't have nothing to do with cute. You just see cute and just keep it pushing. Like, oh, that's cute. Keep pushing. So that's what you say. I'm saying he's sexy, which means <laughs> I'm going to stare. I might not touch it, but I'm going to look at it. <laughs> Superb. I mean, what is your, because he's come from this great background, what is your steer on British comedy? Like, do you have any favorite comics, favorite shows? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got favorite shows. AFAP's one of my favorite shows. You know, uh, what's it? Uh, I'm about to call it Lenny for Benny Hill. Is it Benny Hill? Yeah, I used to watch that all the time as a kid. You know, the I'm going to call it the Nice Templar, but that is not the name. That was one of the sketches. Monty Python? Mighty Python, honey. <laughs> okay, so in high school and in my 20s, I would watch, 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 <laughs> I would watch Mighty Python and I would try to reenact it South Central style. <laughs> Do this make sense? Yeah, I and, think so. Yeah, and so I would get my girlfriends and my homeboys together that, you know, so they want to be actors. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this Mighty Python scene, sketch, blah, blah, blah. This is how we going to do it. Got to rewrite a few things. No, I don't know. I don't know why they're making biscuits in the middle of the afternoon, but we're going to have biscuits. And it's like, so now, like, once I have gone to England, like, once I came to London and everything, I'm like, oh, biscuits. That's a cookie. Okay. Because I'm like, why do you eat biscuits? I'm like, why they gotta have biscuits with the tea? That don't make no sense to eat biscuits. <laughs> but now I know better. Amazing. <laughs> That's superb. Um, I wanted to know, so with Xavier's house, as somebody who frequents, I imagine, quite a celebrity kind of household, would you say that Xavier's house is quite representative of Hollywood homes with like the the prawn kind of garden features and the skiing equipment that's everywhere. Would you say that is an accurate depiction of a Hollywood home? I've been to a few Hollywood homes. I feel like that's an accurate depiction of someone's home who is a little bit dead inside. <laughs> okay. Does that make sense? Like, I you know, when so. somebody's a little bit dead inside, they have a lot of extra stuff going on the outside around them to try to make themselves feel full. 
but they got a lot of sadness going on still. They're, they're incomplete. So they have a lot of extra stuff going on. And maybe, yes, they like beautiful things, but it's just like, you, you also talking to the wrong person because I'm very simple, <laughs> messy. <laughs> very simple and messy. So, you know, I like, I like dirt and garden stuff and I like knickknacks and, you know, yeah. I like a little, little clutter. I'm a little bit like, I like a little clutter. That's just that's me. You know, that's where I come from. I'm not comfortable if it's no clutter. If it's too clean, I feel like, ooh, that's not my environment. If it's a little bit of clutter, that's me. And, you know, <laughs> like like how you got all those books right there. It's not cluttered. It's very organized and beautiful. But yeah. it feels comfortable. You understand? Right. You got a lot of books. I like that. It's like, yes, yeah, <laughs> snuggly, wuggly. But if you just had three books there and a trophy, I'd be like, man, it's a... And it's a little empty inside here. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> what would you say is the, the in line with the prawn kind of garden feature, what would you say is the weirdest thing that you've seen in a Hollywood home? I've seen some weird stuff in a Hollywood home. I've seen <laughs> ice cream shops. Okay. I've seen, uh, uh, I've seen a Benihana, like a whole, you know, chop, 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 a uh, Benihana situation. Um, I've seen a nightclub inside of what in the backyard of someone's home um yeah i think that's a little bit too much it is a lot but i'm you know if you put a, i mean you got a big backyard i say grow some food right <laughs> this person said nah i want to be able to fit 200 people in a room and party <laughs> so i'm gonna put a full-blown nightclub with a bar a dj booth dance floors a balcony. <laughs> oh, I went to somebody's house before. They had a nail shop. Oh, like, wow. You know, like, I get a beauty salon, yeah. but it was like, a, it felt like I walked into a nail shop in a strip mall. Oh, my gosh. I was like, okay, I get just having something for you and maybe two chairs, you know, pedicure yeah. chairs. You know, I get that. And maybe a little table to do and all that. Maybe a massage table. No, they had 10... <laughs> pedicure chairs. I was like, are you running an illegal nail shop out of your out of your house? Like, what? You don't even have you don't even have kids. Like, why do you have this many pedicure chairs? I don't understand it, but I like it. Superb. I think I have to go and rethink some life choices now. That makes me, uh, yeah. Girl, don't make that choice. I mean, it, 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 that's that's when you just got unnecessary money. It's like, what, what do I do? Like, I got some money. I want to open up a grocery store in my community. That's what mm. I want to do with my money. Open up a grocery store, get real good, healthy, no GMOs or minimal GMO foods in my community so people can get healthier. That's what I want to do with my unnecessary money. Okay. <laughs> You're at some people <laughs> want to open a Benny Hanna's in their backyard with that. <laughs> Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, Tiffany, this has been just absolutely joyful. Thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm very excited for the next season of Two from Bertie as well. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait, girl. The next season of Two Cover. <laughs> like I'm super excited about both After Party. I'm extremely excited about it because it's like whole another thing and it's like so mysterious and all these different genres going on. But Tuka and Bertie. Girl, I'm super excited about that because that is talking to the to the 30 something year old woman, the 40 something woman. You know, some we see something of our for ourselves and 
how to process some yeah. of the shit that be going on. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> there's things that happen to us in our 20s. Yeah. And then they come back and slap you in your face at 35. Yeah. 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 Let's it make is, a cartoon about it. It's stunning. <laughs> I love it so it. much. So thank dark. you. I can't wait. Take care. It's and so thank good. You. Wait till you see it. You're going to be like, yeah. You're going to say it just like that too. You're going to be watching. It's going to be over and you're going to be like, yeah. Pass me my tea and biscuits. <laughs> I will do exactly that word for word. Thank you. <laughs> tweet me. Tweet me when you do it, girl. And I will t- we'll talk. Okay. All right. Okay. Tiffany, bless you. Thank you so much. What Thank a joy. You. That was Tiffany Haddish. Let us now away to this week's listener question. And this week's listener question comes to us courtesy of Evie Mavridou. And she says, Hey guys, I was just watching the morning show and I was reminded how annoying I find the beginning intro. One that I'm glad to skip. You are not alone, Evie. Uh, So my question is, what's your favourite slash worst? Now look, I'm almost certain we've done this question before. <laughs> but fuck it, let's do it again. I um, think the skip angle is is a good one to kind of hone in on. And I definitely, I, I do not like the morning show. And it's like, dun, it's awful, dun, isn't it? Dun, 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 dun. And the that, visuals yeah. don't do it for me either. Like, no. I'm just like, it's so dull. It's so long. I'll probably, controversial one for me, but the one I always skip as well, Ted Lasso. I do not like that song. Oh. I do not like the Ted Lasso song. Oh, really? No, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. So yeah, that's when I skip every time. I will give a special shout out to the Kimmy Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt interactive special, which if you haven't got just away the interactive done, special, just the no, obviously, obviously the the um, the title credits are amazing. It's that kind of riff on viral news videos um, and auto tuned um, news interviews. But for the interactive special, which you should seek out anyway for Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Radcliffe alone, um, they do the skip, you know, the skip option comes up on Netflix and you click on it to skip forward. That comes up and you click on it and the singer from the original soundtrack, from the original title credits comes up and says, no, you're not skipping this. (laughs) And then he does, uh, they do a special uh, title sequence, especially for the interactive special. So you think you're skipping ahead to the first part. And he comes up on screen and says, there's no way you're skipping this. And then he does a special for this. So special shout out to the interactive special. That is really, that's just such a fun way to to deal with that. So yeah, big, big fan of that. I'm going to shock you here. I'm going to shock you here. As I'm conscious to say, I'm not the biggest fan of the Yellow Jackets. Thank you, James Dyer. Isn't it? No, it's upsetting. Right, but here's my thing about it, Beth, is that I love the needle drops that they pick. You know, we've talked about this, you know, the brilliant 80s tunes and the music and the whole look of the thing. But for me, the title segments really undersells. And I know what they're doing. It's kind of got a grungy, you're watching a TV set, and so it's all grungy video. It's all a bit VHS, yeah. VHS, and we can see why they're doing it. I don't like the song either. I think the song should have been... I song. this song. The song is like... Yeah, it's okay. As I understand it, that's specifically written um, by two people, Anna Waronka and Craig Wedren, in fact, um, have Mm. written it. I just think they could have had a classic song, a much more ambitious, visually 
stunning um, title sequence. I just think it undersells the show somehow. I, I, thematically, it kind of works, but yeah. I, 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 no, I love it. I think it's brilliant. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Okay. I am 100%, 100% in agreement with you. Like, And for me, like, it's exactly that. It's the visuals and the music. I find it, there's, it's just quite discordant and a little bit sort of abrasive, slightly caustic. And I just I, I just find it a bit upsetting. Which is like, deliberate, like, yeah. Have you, have you seen the yeah. fucking show? Have no, I know, the fucking I know. Show? I, <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I know it's a choice. I get Good it's point. a choice. Like, it's deliberate, but I just I don't enjoy it. Like so, I always take pains to skip Yellow Jackets mm. titles. Always, that, so, I mm. love it. I, I, no. That's the one I actually sit and enjoy. That's the oh, one wow. where I actually like. I love it. I think it's great. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Okay, and I think we do have to give special shout out, even though it's not available over here just yet. But big stirrings in the Empire Office about the Peacemaker opening credits. Yeah. which um, lovely Ben Travis said was such a nice tonic to all the endless riffs on the bloody True Detective title credits, which was like, when did True Detective come out? Like 2014 and every single title sequence since then seems to be a riff on that. And then in comes Peacemaker <laughs> with this choreographed <laughs> balls to the wall uh, title sequence with it, which ends with an eagle doing kind of jazz hands at the end is is just brilliant i can't wait i cannot wait to see that show if we ever get it over here we will we will i yeah. think we're going to have an announcement before too long so oh, there's uh, someone who's sp- sp- yeah there you go yeah. Yeah. uh but speaking <laughs> of speaking of discordant stuff like actually true blood i was a little bit that falls into the yellow jacket camp a little bit for me not for the music but again the the visuals are quite upsetting in the true blood uh trial sequence so i used to skip that for the same reasons i don't want to see like fox carcasses being devoured and you know in like time lapse by maggots it's like no but it's thanks. like it's the super cut of all the themes that that's that's all it is. It's a supercut of all the themes of the show, which, let's be honest, Trubo goes to some fucking horrible places. I don't it know what, does, like, yeah. I don't see what's discordant at all. It's some just like, puppies and, I don't know, a cat drinking fountain would have killed them. <laughs> just risky Idiot. drinking from a fountain for every single show. Would watch. 100% would watch. <laughs> yes. But yes. Um, I was going to say that... Um, my, interesting you mentioned um, True Detective because around that time, in fact, I'm trying to look at which was first because that was a spectacular and influential. Do you remember The Night Manager, the, um, mm, which was 2016? Yes. Great sequence. Yeah. That title is stunning. And it's the mm. music. It's got this big soaring strings music by Victor Reyes, I believe. And um, it's got like exploding things in super slow motion and like ends with a chandelier exploding kind of thing. It's oh, wow. absolutely fantastic. I urge everyone to remind themselves that they haven't recently of the Night Manager title sequence of music. It is fantastic. It's completely over the top. And it, what it does, what it, did, what it did, that title sequence actually, because really the Night Manager, you might think, well, you know, it's got a great cast, Hugh Laurie, Etc., and it's from a you know from an exciting book, but that title sequence really established that it was a big, huge show, and I think that's that's what I, that's the kind of title sequence I like, where it's like grandiose and operatic. Westworld, yeah. I love, I love that title sequence. Oh, that's you know, great. Sh- yeah, the show itself may have let me down in various ways, <laughs> but the title sequence endures in its kind of spectacle and just it's like just dazzling, and the music's fantastic, the theme tune's fantastic. So I do love those kind of title sequences. Succession, which is a bit scrappy and 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 um but the music the nicholas patel theme tune is one of the greatest of all time i'm gonna do my dance i'm gonna do my interpretive yeah. dance <laughs> i've never skipped that ever i don't think in my life i just no. love the whole the drama of that music more than oh, anything yeah. gets you in gear and one i wanted to mention that annoys me the current 
the current title sequence annoys me. I'll explain very specifically why. Historically, Doctor Who is, has one of the greatest theme tunes and title sequences throughout its 50s, coming on 60-year history, right? I love that music and the kind of creepy visuals. But what they haven't done in the Jodie Whittaker era, and I think it's criminal, and I'm really, it really annoys me, is they haven't used her face in the title sequence. So traditionally, you always get the face of the current Doctor one way or another, you know. From, I remember seeing John Pertwee's face back in this day when I was watching it as a kid, and getting so, and it kind of just adding to the excitement of the whole thing. And they have not had her face in the title sequence, and I guess it was because when they brought it back with the three kind of characters who are her companions, they wanted to make it more of an ensemble show kind of thing. But mm-hmm. fucking hell, you know, to not put the first female Doctor. Her face in that time, I think, it was a real misstep, and, and there's still yeah. time. She's still two more specials coming up, and I'm, 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 I'm saying now they really should put her face in the tart sequence, at least yeah. before we say goodbye to Jodie Whittaker. So that's my very specific tart sequence annoyance. But Doctor Who is a good one because the music for Doctor Who is so creepy mm. and iconic and just generally brilliant. Fantastic. Even though I don't yeah. love the show, I do love the music. Yeah. Mm. And I think sometimes with these title sequences, it's like a mix of, is it the visuals or is it sometimes just the music? So Bosch, for example, I love Bosch's kind of cool, jazzy riff that it goes into. And I always sit through it. And it's less because you get the, you know, the LA cityscapes. It's more just I like the jazziness of it. And it's normally... <laughs> It, it follows on from the cold opening quite brilliantly. In the same way, like, you know, when CSI used to have the Who used to kick in whenever, you know, you find out what had happened and then the Who would come sort of firing in. So I think that that kind of engaged in the same way as well. I mean, in terms of other ones that I really like, I mean, look, the, the ultimate winner of this is always going to be Game of Thrones for me because the title sequence isn't just brilliant music, which it is. It isn't just amazing visuals, which it is. Uh, <laughs> it is also the fact that it is narratively essential to understanding the show. Um, because, and you'll find this if you when you watch Wheel of Time and you were just like, who the fuck are you? Where the fuck are you? Where are you going? I don't know what's going on. And part of that is because you've got no sense of place. And what that brilliant title sequence does is it gives you a sense of the world where everything is and the fact that it changes from episode to episode to let you know thematically where the storylines are going to be is genius too so i think for that reason alone i think game of thrones would not have worked in the way it does without that title sequence because you again you wouldn't have understood the relevance of the geography which is essential to the show yeah so. it does take the piss though some episodes when it's dealing with like eight nine ten different yeah, locations yeah. and by the end of it you're like jesus christ this is half the episode i have no problem <laughs> From the sands of dawn to the distant north of the frost fangs. No, it's fine. Um, (laughs) So, so, okay, other things like, so the Sopranos one was one that I used to, didn't always sit through it, but again, the music and just the visuals of him driving back to Jersey, like that's kind of cool as well. Alabama 3. Yes, indeed. We'll yes, indeed. Mm. But like, but music-wise, like also things like um, Millennium. I really like the music because X Files is a great title sequence. But Millennium, I loved that because Millennium was so much darker and more twisted before the final season, which went off the rails. But the first two were really, really good uh, of Millennium, so I like that a lot. Are you picking? Um, hold on a minute. Are you picking the Millennium title sequence above the X Files sequence, which you've just reminded me is a brilliant theme tune? And- okay, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I'm not necessarily <laughs> better. I'm just saying that so few people watch Millennium. 
Millennium. Oh, okay. And I think yeah, people don't really remember Millennium. And the music was particularly excellent for Millennium as well. Okay. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was a great one. But Arcane was one where initially I hated it because it's that Imagine Dragon song. And I was like, oh, this is dreadful. But it actually grew on me as the series went along. So I've taken that back. Foundation had a great title sequence. I used to watch that most episodes. I mean, I've been banned from speaking about The Expanse at this yes, point. Yes, you have. <laughs> I used to watch that again, uh, not by, music, not by anyone apart from, apart from our, our loyal um, listeners on Twitter <laughs> I know yeah. there's been a campaign there was a GoFundMe change.org stop him talking about the expanse sorry guys sorry let me do that um, Dexter another one good music good visuals you know analogy for all his murderous stuff although obviously that title sequence didn't exist in the new uh, Dexter New Blood series um, Raised by Wolves which sucked 10 hours of my life away <laughs> also had a good title sequence Series 2 coming soon I believe Oh god yes yeah. that's the thing that's happening um, yeah. Where did you stand on the Scrubs one? That was always quite fun wasn't it? Oh my god no but uh, after yeah. after the many seasons and episodes that yeah. drive me fucking mad in the end especially because yeah. I used to watch it on um, E4 that was one of the ones so you couldn't skip if you wanted to so you had to <laughs> yeah. sort of sit through the Scrubs Yeah this is pre-skipping days yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean exactly. again yeah. cry, me, cry me a goddamn river oh I couldn't skip through a, a 30 second title sequence in Scrubs yeah. and now I can <laughs> Exactly Spoiled but I just said after, after 12 seasons or whatever it was I was, I was absolutely sick of it. And if you're going to include Scrubs, and if you're going to go down the to comedy, it's The Simpsons. The Simpsons is, uh, mm. you know, one of the greatest tunes. Gimmick title sequence, gimmick-y, one of the early gimmick title changing, sequences. Yeah. yeah, it changes every time. I mean, that is astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That was a Fringe was a room. nice one actually because it was a really simple title sequence the title sequence itself wasn't really anything to get excited about it just said Fringe on the screen but when they started doing different realities the palette changed so it would go red when you were in the alternate dimension rather than the usual blue which I thought was a nice a nice touch to that. in fact last week tonight you, if you guys watched that that always has really fun topical humorous motifs in the title sequence oh, which yeah. is quite good as yeah. well uh, I think that's a pretty good one and of course there's the majesty the glorious majesty <laughs> you would never want to skip uh, the wonder that is Downton Abbey uh, who who would want to pass by those wonderful vistas of High Clear Castle I certainly wouldn't uh, yeah did that, you that, read that's pretty good side, side points sorry did you read the Guardian review of the Gilded Age this week <laughs> was this the one Which, star one yeah one star very <laughs> funny Lucy Mangan it was really funny yeah. um, and we, we all liked it didn't we I think, I'm pretty sure yeah. but it was funny I don't think to Ben see. loved it as much but no you uh, didn't but you didn't hate it, did you? No. I hated that runtime of that opening episode. Yeah, it was too long. That's one, one hour twenty, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. One thing I do want to moan about before we go, and one that I always skip, because yes. we're talking about Netflix and skipping time, is Star Trek fucking Discovery. Like, <laughs> I'm a long-time defender of Star Trek credit sequences. And bear in mind that the credit sequence for, say, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, all that, they're really fucking long. Like, they are not short. But... Star Trek Discovery's one. Like I, like, I don't like the visuals. I can't stand the music. Like, everything about the Star Trek Discovery credit sequence kind of irritates me. So I'm always like, I'm, like, the, I'm tripping over myself to grab the controller to skip it whenever the thing isn't comes Isn't the music up. a bit like the original, though? Isn't it? Isn't it? it riffs on the original. Riffs on the, the original, yeah. 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 yeah, okay. Which I don't... Uh, I you just, don't approve of. <laughs> no. Just I don't, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I just don't, I don't like that. No. And one of the shows okay. that we are reviewing this week, Reacher, has a title sequence that literally just says... Reacher, and yeah. then it goes back to the show, and yeah, I just, yeah. that is so perfectly that character. Yeah, which just says Reacher, and then move on. It's quite a fashion for, for no, for no title sequence, title sequence, isn't it? At the moment, like there's, yeah. there's yeah. quite a few that just just, just get on with the show. Stri- yeah, get on with the show. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is admirable. Yes. 
Well, I think that's, broadly speaking, answered the question. Uh, <laughs> if you have a question for us here on the Pilot TV podcast, then please do send them to one of our social media channels. There are a number of options, be they Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, at Pilot TV Pod. Uh, if you don't already follow us, then please do, as there's a lot going on over there, as you will find out later in the show when I find time to talk about it. Um, but should we talk about some news? Let's have some news. What's been happening in the world of news? Well, um, my... Favourite trailer of the week, I don't know if you saw this one, um, was for The Midwich Cuckoos. Have you seen I it? I did not watch it. Oh, no. okay. I've never heard of this. <laughs> the Midwich Cuckoos is Sky Max Now's big drama series coming up in the summer um, from the John Wyndham novel, which has already been, I think it was a, quite a classic film. And I remember about it is creepy kids, basically think creepy kids in a village being really creepy. And um, the the trailer did pull up, pull that off very, very well. They like, introduced us to a number of really, really nasty looking children. <laughs> and um, it's it's really effective um, so far from what I've seen. Um, Keely Hawes is in it. It's got, so I mean, you know, Keely Hawes, only does good stuff as far as I as far as I'm concerned. Um, so that was the most exciting TV trailer I saw of the week, and um, is, I'm is looking forward to it. Midwich Cuckoos the same story as Village of the Damned, or are they just one inspired by the other, or is it literally the same thing? Do you know what? That's a very good question. I think they might be. I think they're pretty much the same thing. Yeah, um, I, I think as I'm, I just I've just googled it to find. Yeah. Out. Oh, here we here we are here we are. Midwich Cuckoos. It has been filmed twice as, as Village of the, of the Damned. Damned. I guess yeah. people didn't think it was about bird watching. Right. So the 1960 Village of the Damned is what is a fantastically creepy film. Um, so it's a big thing to take on. But you, they've modern. So this is playing the present day. They've modernised it. It's going to be up yeah. to date. Um, but it's a fantastic story. Um, and it looks like they've done a really, really good job. In fact, I think it's from one of the writers of The Night Manager has written the script as well. So um, I was impressed by what I saw. Nice. We, what we haven't seen is the Halo trailer because as we record, it has not come out yet, but it will mm. have done by the time we go out. So I hope you enjoyed seeing The Master Chief. I certainly am looking forward to it. Um, what else has happened in the world? Uh, there's some, a little bit of uh, White Lotus stuff, which just which broke before we went out last week, but not before we recorded, which is that, yes, surprising absolutely no one, Jennifer Coolidge's Tanya McQuaid uh, will be returning for season two yes. of The White Lotus. Hooray. Absolutely brilliant. Do you think she will... Um Big, the first scene will feature her explaining how to say her name again. Do you remember that? That, that, that I think that was her first line in the in the in season one, where she had to explain to someone that getting her name slightly wrong, McQuaid, McQuaid, all that. I think I, I, I my hope is that she'll do that same thing again. <laughs> I'm hoping for a broader kind of like a Stephen King kind of universe that happens with the White Lotus, where she just kind of pops up in various stages or is kind of like this like interweaving storyteller but I I I mean I could talk about it till the cows come home I think I love instances where you see character actors actually get to run with a proper storyline and that's what's happened here and if we get to see that again with her amazing if she takes a back seat they've got an absolutely cracking cast to take the front the front sort of reins this time I'm I'm just I'm so excited for this when is it out next year I'm assuming so but yeah I mean, if it was a British show and they're filming, I mean, they're filming it, I think, already, if not very soon, then you mm. then it would be out by the end of the year. But America, I'm not sure. I mean, they probably could if they really wanted to, but I imagine it would be next mm. year, yeah. Amazing. There was a Joe versus Carol um, trailer that came up. I haven't seen it. And I'm also quite lost in that, that kind of adaptation and where we are and what's what. Yeah, but- I know what you mean. This is all Tiger King stuff, isn't it? Yes. And there's a, there's a drama version of it coming out which has got a cracking cast you've got Carmen McLaughlin you've got um, 
Uh, oh, I've forgotten everybody. Kate McKinnon, John Cameron Mitchell are all on board. Um, I think there's a teaser that's come out, but I, I actually haven't seen it, so I'm not doing very very well at talking about it here. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's something that happened this week. All right, all right, but but you know what we haven't mentioned, of course, is the key news of the week, which is that there was a trailer for Star Trek Picard season oh, two, which yes. featured not only John Delancey as Q, who we've already seen, but Whoopi Goldberg as bartender Guinan. We very excited to see Guinan returning, guys. Oh, I can't barely speak for excitement, James. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Christmas had just gone, and yet yeah. here it is again. Yeah, I'm yeah, genuinely right. more excited than Beth. Yes, I am quite excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, it was uh, like but, Christmas come early, but of course, it is Christmas every day in the Nexus, as we found out when uh, Jean Luc Picard was uh, trapped in there during Star Trek Generations. But carry on. Okay. okay. Right. Uh, we need Do you know to- what? I haven't actually watched that fucking trailer yet. Or uh, yeah, I, I can't. I can't believe it. Yeah, I've let you down. Sorry. You have. You've let everyone that, down. Then, then there's a there's a release date, isn't there? There's a, a when does it arrive? That's right. Um, it is yes. arriving on. Hold on while I bring up the calendar, which I have updated with this oh. information. <laughs> the calendar of controversial pilot TV Yes, the calendar, calendar of passive aggression. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the calendar. So we are at... March. Hang on. No, that's Discovery 4B. Where's fucking Picard? Oh, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. The 3rd of March. 3rd of March. That's 3rd of March. That's, that's, of March, that's pretty it soon. It to Prime Video. Yeah, yeah, that's in about three review weeks' time, if we'll get to oh, review it. so exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. Is this my first Star Trek? episode then if we, we didn't if we do discovery it. did we because no. it aired on whatever that channel was it pluto yeah. tv i uh, can't yeah. remember what it was called yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah um if they sent us the screens they did last time didn't they we got screens in time for season oh, one oh yeah we reviewed picard yeah. we reviewed yeah, yeah, picard yeah, yeah. oh yeah yes. amazon prime oh, yes yeah, yeah 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 okay um yeah. did you see have you finished talking about picard by the way sorry i thought you <laughs> Yes. I mean, you never will finish but for this, for this <laughs> for now. segment. For, for now. now. Did you see my, my favourite actual news of the week? I think this is one that the, it's kind of funny and appropriate. The DGA Awards, you know, the Directors Guild of America. Yes. Unveiled their nominations this week. Did you see? And the TV, in the TV nominations, they do TV and film. In the category of best drama series, TV drama series, all five nominations are for succession. So basically, <laughs> five episodes of Succession out of the You're nine. Joking me. Yeah, no, I'm not joking you. Um, are all are in? So no other show. So basically, Succession is winning best TV drama series <laughs> in the DGA Awards. Um, I mean, is the Kathy Yan episode in? Is the Lorraine Scafaria episode in? Yeah, the Lorraine Scafaria episodes in. I'll tell you which ones. Lorraine yes. Scafaria, Robert Pulcini and Sherry Springer Berman co-directed *Lion in the Meadow*. Andrew Parekh and Rai Parekh. What it takes. Mark Mylod, who directs the kind of all big episodes, all the bells say, and Kevin Bray for retired Genesis of Ohio. They are all the nominees for the five five episodes. But what a weird situation to be in. All the five yeah. these five directors vying with each other for to which is the best episode, the best directed episode succession, where well, we'll find out. Um yeah, and Ted That's Lasso close three episodes in the comedy category, with the other two episodes being, can you guess? Well, probably not, because the White Lotus is in there. Counted oh, as a great. comedy, yeah. Even though it's really an hour-long comedy drama, I think. And yeah. the controversial, because we still haven't fucking seen it, hacks. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> oh, we never will. Let's be honest; it's yeah. never happening. Yeah, we never will. <sighs> 
Some other news that we kind of skated through in the Empire podcast as well, but just in case you didn't listen to that, uh, Godzilla will be coming to Avil TV as part of this Godzilla and Titan oh, yeah. series, which is set in the legendary Monsterverse. So big lizards punching other big lizards and assorted other giant things await. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is going to be in the Ahsoka Tano TV show. Mandalorian spin-off, which is fun. Always here for Mary Elizabeth Winston, especially after Kate, which was that excellent uh, Netflix John Wick type film that she did, which was a lot of fun. Um, Lucy Liu is going to be in the next Stephen King miniseries, which Boyd will enjoy right up until some awkward supernatural twist ruins it for him. Uh, yeah. This is called Later. But, Any sorry. other news? Um, well, I, in the, the only section I think I can do, I just want to mention, I'm very indebted to Adam Bowie on Twitter, who is at Adam Bowie, pretty much, I think. Um, he he uh, tweeted me this week. I don't know if you, you, you didn't tweet Pilot TV, so you might not have seen it. About, you know, I was talking last week how I needed to do a, a thing about how why certain yes. shows end up on certain channels and the yes. HBO thing. He wrote a brilliant multi, multi-factor tweet thread trying to explain to some extent what the fuck's going on. And, he, and it seems <laughs> to all make and Read it out to me. You, right, okay. I mean, it's long. I'll, I'll just read you the gist of it. Listen Bring me to the dis- highlights. Yeah, the discussion about why Station Eleven's on Stars Play, not Sky Atlantic. Sky's deal is an output deal with HBO. Their 2019 deal was a renewal of their previous one. But from HBO's perspective, HBO the channel and HBO Max the streaming service are not quite the same thing. So basically, a lot of so it does vary from HBO Max to HBO. First of all, that's one key factor. Um, mm-hmm. HBO has its own commissions, and Sky's deal doesn't incorporate everything from HBO. So um, if it airs on the linear HBO channel, like Euphoria, Gilded Age, then it's probably included. If it's streaming only, then it's up for grabs, basically, he Ah. says, which includes And Just Like That, which is on Sky, but he says Sky probably had to pay more for it. For the rights to that, yeah. so if they have, the things they have to pay more for, they don't necessarily go for. Which is why Station Eleven is on Stars Play, Love Life is on BBC, as was Gossip Girl, which was an HBO Max mm. thing. Um, and there was that um, kind of do you remember that foreign drama about the kids having lots of sex last year, which ended <laughs> on BBC and not and not Sky, which was really good. Luca Guadagnino, him, his Guadagnino, one, one. yeah, Guadagnino, yeah. yeah, his series. Yeah, because um, I was surprised way back then that that was on BBC. So that, and he, he goes into more detail, but that's just of it. And he does say the last tweet is as for CBS Viacom owners of Paramount Plus and producers of Yellowstone. There's a great piece in Puck recently about the mess they made over streaming that show. In the US, it airs on Paramount Network, but they sold the streaming rights to Peacock due to short-sightedness. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. Yeah. Adam Bowie, very, very good. Very he, interesting. Yeah, he works in radio, blogs about radio, podcast media. He's very, he's very um, knowledgeable. Oh, thank you, Adam. That's actually very, very helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, what better way to end news? Um, that was that was very good. That's, that's the first time we've actually had some proper interesting news. So that's good. Thank you. First time um, ever. <laughs> first time ever. We've never had good news. What an indictment. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, let's move on now to our second guest, which is Mackenzie Davis, the star of Tully, Halt and Catch Fire, and most recently, meditative sci-fi Station Eleven, which we've just been talking about, and is airing in the UK, not on Sky, but on Stars Play. She plays Kirsten, who is a survivor of the show's pandemic outbreak and the lead actor in a post-apocalyptic thespian group called The Travelling Symphony. Uh, And Mackenzie talked to Beth about one of, honestly, the most unusual, I think, and striking end of world dramas we've seen in a very long time, uh, which we talked all about last week, but the very good Station Eleven on Stars Play. 
congratulations on the show I'm two episodes in and it's a lot <laughs> but just gets, the pandemic ends and then it gets very hopeful and joyful <laughs> you just have to get through the intro <laughs> I mean where to start with this character I feel like she has a lot of plate spinning doesn't she she's obviously been through a lot of trauma which is processing, it feels like, through these wonderful um, Shakespearean performances that she she puts on and she people kind of look to her to put on as well. I mean, what was your entry point for this character? Um, I think that, first of all, is this person who um, sort of declares who they are as a child and then, like, through the most fantastic circumstances possible the world ends she loses everybody in her life becomes like a lone warrior at nine years old and then somehow finds herself doing the very thing she said she was going to do when she was eight years old is so beautiful and feels like a fairy tale a little bit um and uh i don't know i liked how much sort of urgency and um weight her role was treated with i mean her role as an actor honestly that uh, something patrick somerville um spoke about a lot was uh how when you're in a creative field or you're making art in some way it can often feel life or death even though nobody in your life would recognize that but to you being involved in it it feels like the stakes are unimaginably high and I feel like coupling her onstage life with her offstage life and how that is actually life and death. It lent this air of um, sort of uh, urgency and, and how essential it was to, to do the thing that she was doing, which I don't know. I think I even fall into the trap of being like acting stupid. Like it's not a real, (laughs) I don't know. I I've like had to train myself out of treating it. Like it's not really important to me because it is. And it, and it, it's a big deal in my life and I take it really seriously. And um, uh, I don't know. I just loved without being like super self-serious about it, it. It used the parallel of her sort of like survival instincts and warrior side to, to make her artist side um, as vital. Yeah. Is that what jumped off the page for you in terms of Kirsten's personality, her survival instincts? In some ways, yeah. Um, I mean, she's a pretty interior character in the book as well. I mean, she's she's um, she's the the conduit through which you see the post apocalyptic world. So I think finding who she is when she's not showing you what you're seeing, like taking that out of the book and and making her into a full character. I think like I don't often see people who are as tough and occasionally violent and occasionally vicious as she is also as like vulnerable and open and sort of exposed as she is. She feels like she's walking around with, you know, an an exposed nerve a lot of the time. And I liked that these two sort of counter things existed in one person. And I thought it it felt really sort of dangerous. How are you with Shakespeare. It's obviously, well, in the second episode, especially integral to the character. Are you, what's your relationship like with Shakespeare? Was there anything that tripped you up when you had to perform? 
Well, I spend a lot of time, I, I feel self-conscious about this, but I spend a lot of time reading and, and, and working on and thinking about the work I had to do in the show. There was another Shakespeare piece that ended up not being relevant to the show. So it's not in there anymore. Um, uh, but then in the finished product, it's funny because it's like it's the second it starts, she gets a memory from the past and is not at all doing the thing that she's doing. So I feel like I spent um, it's I, I love Shakespeare. I was given the great gift of getting to work on it with um, with Giles Block, who um, worked at the, the Globe for a long time. And and we spoke for six months, um, not the entire time, but we just were in conversation about Hamlet and about A Winter's Tale and about King Lear. And it was such a pleasurable time in my life to just be back in school, really, and studying and thinking. And um, yeah, it was lovely. Another co-star is the peerless Laurie Patty. I've, I've got to ask what that experience was like because you get such a delicious first episode with her. I mean, what is your relationship like with her work? And what was that like to, to work together? I love Tank Girl. Huge inspiration. Yes. To me, as so many girls of that era, um, Lori is so cool. Uh, she is so magnetic and dynamic. And I feel like there's certain people that you just like, of course, she's a movie star. Like, what else do you do with that much sort of charisma and energy? And like, it's she's you're just so drawn to her. She's so dynamic and um, has like so much going on inside of her. I, I was really just thought she was a wonderful person and was really attracted to her. I thought she was incredible. Yeah, of her presence. Um, yeah. Shakespearean kind of preparation aside, you obviously are operating in an apocalyptic or a post-apocalyptic world was there anything else that you needed to prepare for for this role in this particular environment um I needed to learn knife throwing which was fun um I started doing it in the fall while I was in London actually and then um and then I moved to Canada over Christmas and into the, for the next many months and my um my dad built me a knife throwing board at uh, my parents' house. And so I was just (laughs) leaving Christmas dinner to go and throw knives in the afternoon. It was really an idyllic sort of experience. And then I was teaching him how to knife throw. We had a whole nice sort of knife throwing family life for a while. Um, The thing about knife throwing is it's not that sexy. (laughs) Is it seems, I don't know why I'm saying that in relation to my dad. It's it like seems really cool and to do it on camera, it has to look really sort of swift and, and amazing, but to do it accurately is really just treating your arm like this hinge. Cause I, I learned from this like world champion knife thrower and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's very different to do it well and to do it cool. And that was a, that was a big uh, learning curve for me. What was the key? What was the key to sexy knife throwing? don't try and get it in the board <laughs> you have to stop it's honestly pretend you don't have a knife in your hand and then do sort of like like a leopard or a panther a panther stance and just um full body into it and don't throw your chest into it that was my that was my big problem but i really was like no 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 the best way is arm at a 90 degree angle and then just never move your feet so that you know the distance all the time and it just doesn't look cool <laughs> It's good to know for the next probably Christmas. Thank you. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, you've obviously been in not just pivotal TV, but like landmark television that's that's set a lot of of premise for for other shows to come. And thinking obviously of Hot and Catch Fire, that wonderful episode of Black Mirror as well, and now this, which feels very important in itself. What are you looking for when you choose a TV project? Or what really is there a certain quality that you look for when you take these projects on? I mean, I think the same with TV and movies is just, do I, it's all like, do do you want to be in conversation with this thing for anywhere from, you know, six months to seven years? Like, is this something that turns you on enough to, to keep talking about it with the people that you're making it with, with people after it comes out? Like, does it, does it like activate something in your mind and challenge something for you on the day? I think that's always the, the thing for me is like, and also am I retreading a thing that is so familiar to me or am I doing something that feels kind of new and, um, and like a strange space to occupy? Um, that's what I try and find. I guess I do do a lot of like <laughs> science fiction things, but, um, but that's pure coincidence. You're not, you're not a, a sci-fi head. You're not necessarily drawn to the, to the genre for a particular reason. No, it's just funny. You find patterns in your life and then you're like, yeah, I guess I do do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, just searching for things I want to keep talking about for a long time after I make them. That's fair. And I mean, this is, this is obviously arriving at a time that will feel very sensitive to, I mean, everybody. What, what are you hoping that people will take away from watching the show? Mm, I feel very, with the pandemic, with the climate, with... So many aspects of life right now, I feel really um, like sad and fearful and it feels like the end of something maybe. But there is this sort of kernel in this show that there isn't a dearth of humanity, there's an abundance of humanity and that there is like opportunities for community and for creation and for you know, all the things that make life worth living and also um, like kindness and empathy and all, all, all the things we need to survive. Um, I don't know. It feels like there is some really beautiful argument for humanity that I sometimes, if I read the news too much, feel is in short supply. Um, so it's a much more positive show for me than uh, I think the tagline would would make you believe it's not about a pandemic it's about like how do you survive after a huge event and what do you do with your experience that like creates beauty for other people and for yourself I mean just just to wrap up what within reason can we expect to see because I I don't know where this is gonna go so what could we expect to see from Kirsten for the rest of the series um you know what which well so um, Shakespeare, <laughs> violence, traveling, horsebacks, knives. Um, there's a there. The cool thing about this show is that there's not just like one uh, settlement or lifestyle that happens after the pandemic. It's not like the traveling symphony is like, and that's the world that we live in. Everybody is on horseback bringing Shakespearean plays. You see windows into what other people have created, little settlements, and you see some sort of 
unbelievable advancements and some people who are living like a very, very simple agrarian life. And I like seeing windows into those different worlds and that there isn't like a monolithic life after pandemic um, vision, but that there's all these sort of little iterations of what could happen. Well, you had me at Knives and Shakespeare, so that's uh, definitely yeah. something to look forward to. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Mackenzie, and, and yeah, I love the show. Thank you. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, thank you so much. That was Mackenzie Davis, uh, and time now for this week's reviews. And we're better to start than with Pam and Tommy, uh, where Cousin Rose turns full barbed wire as Lily James kind of embarks on a transformational role as Pamela Anderson in Pam and Tommy, which tells the true story of the famous link of her and Tommy Lee's sex tape, which went viral on what was then the fledgling internet. Uh, this is a show that... and. <laughs> This is absolutely true. Features Sebastian Stan engaging in a heated debate with his own penis. Uh, Isn't that right, Beth? It is correct, yes. That was a real... I mean, because we were very fortunate to see this ahead of all the news and the casting news. Like, the casting of the penis voice got its own news story (laughs) in a lot of places. So yes, Jason Manzukis, who is absolutely wonderful uh, in The Good Place and Big Mouth and all kinds of other wonderful American sitcoms, yeah, voices uh, Sebastian Stan's appendage uh, in a kind of, I call it like, I think we called it last week, like Venom-esque uh, kind of <laughs> moral <is>. confrontation. <laughs> it's also, we should point out, a CG penis, which turns around to look at him while it's talking. Yeah, a, a, a real all but walking, talking uh penis so i've watched all of it uh as i said uh at the start of the the recording i've watched all of it and i thought the first few episodes of this show are everything that i would have expected it to be really bombastic and heightened and these really quite brave performances i would say from the pair of them it's a real departure for sebastian stan considering he was doing you know Surly meets Surly and the Winter Soldier. Um, <laughs> and obviously, Lily James, I mean, a, a huge, huge departure from her, as you, you've just said, both prosthetic and <laughs> up to the eyeballs with, with all bits sort of stuck on them here and there. Um, and and uh, Seth Rogen, who I haven't really seen act, I realised, in, in what feels like a long time. I, I can't remember the last time I saw him properly who's in American Pickle, isn't he? But I haven't seen him on the small screen in a very long time. So the freak and the geek in me was very excited to see him uh, back in kind of a serialized format. It started to get a little bit murky for me the further down the rabbit hole it went. So it, it begins with kind of establishing the relationship, this real kind of breakneck speed romance, which kind of there's some really funny bits when they're actually starting to learn, you know, what kind of films they like. And, and when we discover that, Pamela Anderson doesn't know where Tommy Lee lives. Like she doesn't know his address. So it's it's kind of really fun interrogating that. But after the tape is stolen by uh, Seth Rogen's character, who is is a guy who's been really trod on by by uh, Tommy Lee. He was like a construction worker who gets completely screwed over by him. And, and this was kind of an act of vengeance and justice. He keeps kind of telling himself, you know, he's doing the right thing by doing this. But the further down the rabbit hole we go, the further it interrogates what it meant to be, I mean, what it means to be a woman and, and have other people essentially owning the rights to your body because you choose to put yourself in the public eye you know talking about slut shaming talking about what it means to be perceived as a slut and and it is 
done very, very thoroughly and very, very well. And it is a really, it is such a great performance from Lily James. But the more it does a good job at interrogating how exploited a woman is, the more it seems to shoot itself in the foot because it's it's not made with Pamela Anderson's consent. This is something mm. uh, Terry did the review of this and, and ends the review by saying this, that, you know, this, this essentially was not made with the consent of Pamela Anderson. And so it does this wonderful job of interrogating exploitation and being in the public eye while in turn just feeding that monster. Um, like it really does burrow into some really sad, upsetting moments in their relationship, in her life, um, in a way that is heightened and, you know, dramatized, but essentially is rooted in fact, really did happen to this person. And so by the end of it, I just felt a bit icky. I felt like we were watching something non-consensual. I felt like it it just did too good a job at, at proving the argument that it was it was making in the first place. And for that reason, it, it when I when I left it, I'd, whereas I'd enjoyed the start of it, the more it kind of probed into her personal life, the more I didn't like it um not to say it's not an amazingly well-made show i really like craig gillespie who obviously made i Tonya, so that feels like a very natural fit for him you know this kind of crime dark crime exploitation kind of thing it's a period piece as well because it's set in 1995 also i felt you know what are we you know i'm terrible at maths but this is what 20 27 years later <laughs> like this is this this sex that it is 27 isn't it it's 27 200 <laughs> hours later 207 years later uh, yeah this is reaching a completely new audience who would not have heard of this sex tape and and have no idea what it was probably let's be honest probably don't know who tommy lee is maybe know who's, who's pamela anderson is you know this is reaching a completely new audience and it is obviously on them if they choose to go away and look at this tape but you do have to wonder what is being gained by bringing this back up to the surface especially without the consent of the woman this has happened to mm. so yeah well made wonderfully performed brave performances from the two sigils, especially Lily James, but yeah, it left me quite cold in the end. It's weird, isn't it? You'd almost think, like, in, in a way, if you were crafting a TV series, it's almost kind of eats its own tail in that regard. Like, if they'd done it deliberately, it would have been in this incredibly bold idea that they're trying mm. to almost recapture this idea of sort of knowing voyeuristic pleasure at someone else's expense without their, without their consent by giving you a voyeuristic pleasure at someone else's expense without their consent that said i don't think they're i don't think that was their intention at all Uh, that's just what this is but it it does make it really interesting because as you say like it addresses unintentionally the idea of consent head on uh and it's like you know this is laying her entire life and probably into one of the most difficult chapters in her life like laying it open without her cooperation without her consent and it's it's tricky because of that but you know you're, you're not wrong like it's it's very compelling because of it. it's slightly oddly structured like the first episode has almost no pam at all mm. and very little tommy it is almost all seth rogan as the uh as the sort of uh felonious construction worker mm. um and then it's not until the second episode where we get this kind of flashback to this whirlwind romance where they meet and they're married within like two days or something insane like that yeah um and Tommy Lee, who doesn't come across 
at all well really at any point in this um he's just played brilliantly by stan like he's he has so much fun with that kind of manic energy that tommy lee has i think he's really good but you know and it's it's very easy to say like lily james you know she's gone from being you know downton's cousin rose you know to being this sort of like almost spitting image of pamela anderson she's just i mean she's buried under prosthetics she has mm-hmm. the makeup is incredible from you know the way they've done her face to this sort of entire false chest plate that they put on her for all of these you know frankly nude sex scenes that she's doing um but also frankly she gets nude. that kind of That's frankly brilliant. nude frankly nude, <laughs> frankly nude. <laughs> not not, not, not figuratively nude, nude. frankly no, nude frankly. Um, uh, but but also she has that kind of breathy mannerism like she does Mm. feel a lot like Pamela Anderson and there's some really interesting points in this there's a bit where she and this does happen like she gets trotted out for sort of these affiliates these network affiliate people who are you know overseeing the syndication of Baywatch across the US so these kind of like they're sort of I guess they've all been brought to Cancun all these people from random small towns around America who run these little networks and and she has to sit on a table and make nice so they all just kind of leer over her and it's really horrible and I remember I think I'm saying Jessica Alba saying something quite a few years ago about something similar about her being paraded in front of these people and being sort of poured at by them and just finding it so repugnant and humiliating and objectifying and you just got to think like and you watch that you think wow that's actually really not good and then obviously to add insult to injury we then go into this whole sex tape for Argo so yeah like there's a lot going on here you've got the show you've got how it kind of makes you feel which is in need of a shower um but it is funny it plays for laughs I think more often than anything else um so I'm not quite sure how that makes you feel as well yeah well I think that is one of the problems I think that's partly why Pamela Anderson, you know, the whole Pamela Anderson thing, as Beth was talking about, um, uh, Terry mentioned in a review, addressed it brilliantly in a review for Empire. It's a great review. Yeah, yeah, why I think it feels even... It didn't necessarily need to feel this way. It's because the comedic tone of this, at least to start with, and I've I've watched... I'm up to episode four now, but because it chooses to start with, as you say, um, um, Seth Rogen's character, the character of the guy who stole who stole the tape, uh, mm. you, you know, and, and totally foregrounds him. I think that was a mistake, I, I, frankly. I think that's I think that's a storytelling mistake. And I know why they're doing it. It's the, you know, every, it's part of the, you know, then it flashes back essentially episode two to the beginning of Pamela and Tom, Pamela and Tommy's relationship, right? And that's more, episode two brings them, it's more about them. But if you're going to, in in a thing of where you are taking the risk, of, where you're not involving one of the key players and one of the exploited players historically in this story, Pamela Anderson in in there, and she wants nothing to do with it, and you're not involving her. And she, you, do you know what I mean? And to then foreground this guy, this kind of you know this schlubby guy who you know, you know, be, being played perfectly well, like you know, great to see Seth Rogen. But I just thought that was a weird creative thing thing to do. Flash, you know, do his bit in episode two. You could just tell this story fucking chronologically. I am back on that soapbox. I think this <sighs> story could have been would have been better told chronologically i really believe that because it would have avoided the foregrounding of him in episode and the fact that pam as you say barely appears in episode one and i think that is an issue so for me and the comedic tone which sometimes works it works quite well you know there's a scene where there's lots of stuff about you know they don't know that what the internet is you know and all that stuff like alta vista you know search engine and you know a lot of stuff is seth rogan <laughs> explaining to the doofus played by nick offerman what the internet is those mm. things are funny and that is funny but I'm not sure that tone works for when, say, Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee are meeting. Because I think Pamela Anderson has a persona 
like a public persona and a persona in films and TV that wasn't that was it wasn't her real self. You know, I think she actually, you know, is a smart and I think you get a bit of that in in the script, but still there's a lot of kind of quite basic one-dimensional elements to her character, certainly as she's introduced, I think, which they could have mm. taken more time and effort to make her a more fully rounded person. And I think, again, if I was Pamela Anderson, I, I think it, you can see why if she got hide or hair of the script or of the tone or whatever, she would not want to approve of this thing because I think it does reduce her to a bit of a one-dimensional, the persona that she had. But there, I've seen, I remember seeing interviews with her at the time, you know, I'm not saying I'm, the, I'm obsessed with her or anything, but I remember watching, you know, I, this was my era. I was wished to watch Baywatch, weirdly going out on Saturday afternoon, you know, on ITV, early evening. It was such a weird thing, you know, mm. with its obvious slow motion exploitation of its female star. But I remember watching interviews with her and she was eloquent and smart and funny and, you know, could, could place um, uh, Baywatch in its, in, in its context, etc. Whereas I think in this, and as brilliant, and I agree that um, Lily James is absolutely brilliant, but certainly in the first few episodes, she, she, she's fairly straightforward, one-dimensional person, and I think that does her a disservice. So I will watch the rest of it because I'm fascinated by the whole story. And I think from the sound of it, Beth, later on it gets more into the, like dealing with how the paparazzi and celebrity culture and all of that, doesn't it? There's a bit of that, but... Yeah, I think we should talk... Talk about it again when you finished it. I don't know. It get, it just it goes to some very uncomfortable terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those who didn't think talking penises would ever arrive on Disney Plus, <laughs> here it is. It's Pam and Tommy. The first three episodes of which drop on Star on Wednesday, February the second. Next up, we have Reacher. Because after having been played by Tom Cruise on screen, Lee Child's towering hero, Jack Reacher, makes his small screen debut this week with Alan Richson as the man with pectoral muscles thick enough to stop a small caliber bullet. Uh, and he wanders into a small town in Georgia only to be promptly arrested uh, in this, which is the prime video adaptation of Killing Floor, the first Reacher novel. Reacher said nothing, but Boyd, we hope said something well i have been waiting for this for um quite some time i am you know i i'm a big fan of the lee child books um i once reviewed i think maybe even twice reviewed early jack reach books with him in the studio on simon mayo's old radio show we do review books every week on radio five live glory days and he's a fantastic man and um i love those books i love the character i love the atmosphere of them the whole his whole persona of you know his mysterious hardly saying anything monosyllabic most of the time the kind of the idea of the roaming big guy walking through you know treading ground in in bleak one restaurant one diner towns in america which i've seen you know i went across america and i've seen these places and they are amazing they still exist where people barely set foot out of them you know and that's their world i love that whole world and i even like the first film of course controversially starring five foot whatever tom cruise shorter than me as six foot five gargantuan muscle man jack reacher the casting was always preposterous but i actually really like particularly the first film i think the first film is by the beautiful one of the most beautifully made films um of that of, of in the last few years i love it and i watch it rewatch it regularly so I'm I'm a huge fan, of it, despite the incredible miscasting of Tom Cruise in them. The second film is a bit more basic, but still fun. But I think the key thing about this TV version is that he, um, Alan Richson, I keep calling him Richmond by mistake, Alan Richson, who's fairly unknown, isn't he? Let's face it. He's been in, so he he's was in Aquaman in sort of Smallville, right. and he's been in some of the the DC stuff. He's done he's done a few things. He's done a few but things. yeah, he's not he's not particularly well known. No, but he is. I think he is 
perfect, I have to say. So he 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 looks the part. He's massive. Um, he um, he's. I think he I think he intones the the fairly monosyllabic dialogue really well. And we has to have, when he has to be a bit more open. Um, I think he's really good as well. And I think I think the showrunner Nick Santoro has established the tone um, very well right from the start. There's a there's a flashback scene that I don't remember. I haven't gone back and checked, but I don't know if it's in the novel. I don't know if you remember James. You're a no, major fan, it's so not. It's not. Okay. Awful. The flashbacks are awful. So the flashback scene to his uh, is terrible, right? So that is a huge problem. Fuck that. We don't need to know Reacher's backstory. <laughs> That's the whole point is we don't know his backstory. He and he's brilliant and he's a brilliant character and those do ruin it. There are luckily enough. I think you just kind of have to get over that because I think it's well worth enjoying the show um, apart from those. But I think they've done. I think it totally works. They've gone back to Killing Floor, the very first book. I think um, the depiction of the small town of Margrave in Georgia works really well. So just the atmosphere, the tone, the casting, I'm pleased with it. So I'm, I, I think they've done, by and large, a good job apart from the flashback. Yeah, the flashbacks are not a good thing. There are a couple, they take some liberties with this, and that's understandable. So it's split over eight episodes. So they have embellished some stuff mm. that isn't in the book uh, and there's some character work which will maybe surprise people in this one if they're fans of the books because it's again not in the first book but generally speaking uh, and I had I mean we've discussed this on this show before I had real concerns about this show like I'm a massive Reacher fan and I saw the trailer and I thought it looked fucking terrible I just thought this is awful like I just I just, what have they done to Reacher like what are you doing and genuinely was dreading this a bit going in but i really really liked it and i have to say i think alan richardson is a fucking brilliant reacher and me and chris on the emperor podcast we've gone round and round this for years <laughs> actual years long before long before tom cruise was cast at it like who could be jack reacher who could be jack reacher we've bandied everyone from joe manganiello to liev schreiber as who could possibly pay the man mountain that is jack reacher but alan richardson who is two inches shorter than actual Reacher, but you wouldn't know. He's a monster, an absolute monster. And he has that incredibly intimidating physicality where he just looms and you see him and you genuinely believe when five guys set upon him that these five guys are about mm. to get entirely <laughs> fucked up like never you're like oh you are what are you doing the only thing that doesn't <laughs> s- sit right with you is you're thinking god man do you not have eyes look at this guy what are you doing um so i think he he captures that brilliant and you know you you say he's monosyllabic i don't think he's monosyllabic i think he's laconic right up until he isn't because he doesn't <laughs> yeah, speak sure. and then when he does speak he has these incredibly intelligent articulate analyses because the thing with Reacher is he's not just a muscle head he's an incredibly talented investigator as well you know because he's this former MP as in military police he's not a member of parliament cake (laughs) is not his undoing cake is not his weakness to quote uh, Jumanji Um, but uh, you know I, 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 I think he's really good and I think this story which is this story hinges a lot this is the very first one so this was one where Lee Child, or Jim, as is his real name, had been made redundant from, I want to say, the BBC, actually. He used to work in TV as a kind of producer, programmer. And he'd been made redundant. So this story is about a guy who got made redundant from the army, and that's why he's travelling around America. But obviously, you know, in his head, like, you know, he's he's a guy who's saying, fuck you to everyone. And he gets into this town of Margrave, and he gets caught up. He's arrested immediately. So he's trying to get some peach pie, and he gets arrested and thrown in prison. And the whole thing is, he has to clear his name and find out what really happened. Now, there's there are a few, shall we say, coincidences here, which, frankly, (laughs) 
incredulity a little bit. But that I think it plays out really, really well. And I think they've got a great supporting cast. I think Willa Fitzgerald as Roscoe is a really good character. I think she becomes a brilliant foil for for Reacher. I enjoyed that a lot as well. Uh, I especially liked Malcolm Goodwin, who's in this. She plays Finley, one of the detectives. He plays that brilliantly as well. Uh, the character interaction is great. You know, even knowing the story as I do, like I've read Killing Floor a number of times, even knowing it kind of inside and out, I was still hooked on this all the way through. And I mainlined this entire series over a day and a half last weekend. <laughs> so, and I had an absolute blast doing it. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait for, for season two of this. So yeah, having gone into this convinced it would be unwatchable nonsense. Uh, yeah, this was brilliant. Loved it. Beth, have you read any of the books? Are you, are you a Reacher fan or are you coming to this cold? I'm not a Reacher fan, but I am a fan of Reacher fans. So I have a few <laughs> diehards in my in my friendship circles, and I have the most time for their love of Reacher. Just the the sheer lines that they regurgitate to me sometimes, hands the size of dinner plates, and all these <laughs> wild descriptions, and all these fantastic flaws in the logic. How he's he's this one second, but he's that another. But they're they're on board for every single one of those books um so i was i was at the very least intrigued to watch this and had some very envious friends <laughs> considering how great my job is this was the thing that made people really jealous yep. um so <laughs> but i i had the most fun with this and this isn't really my wheelhouse um usually but obviously came in with this kind of slightly pumped up by this kind of fandom behind me and i had so much fun with this like so much fun i love uh, Alan Richardson is is uh, one of those people where I just wonder where do you buy your clothes? I wonder it with like <laughs> John Cena and like Dwayne Johnson and now this guy like where do you shop? Like where where do you obtain these garments that can just contain the sheer mass of your body? Like it's it's baffling to me, um, and I just love this this kind of assuming nature that he just knows everything you know like i i always refer to that episode of the simpsons when people uh like the kind of nerds at the convention are trying to um kind of pull flaws in in uh, a tv show and and the the line is oh it's just wizards wizards did it with this it's like it's just jack reacher he just knows <laughs> so it's like well like how did you know that oh well it's this combat method that they only really practice in southern america and uh he was trying this headbutt on me so so that's how it was. And you're like, oh, Jerry, she just knows that. <laughs> and there's a really, a really grisly uh, murder kind of set piece that happens where he's able to correctly assume where someone's missing body parts are. And it's just, oh yeah, it's just, it's just Jerry too. He just knows that. It's And I, I kind of love that you've just run with that logic. Don't think about it. Don't question it. Just assume Jack Reacher knows fucking everything, and the more and the like, like the more the, the quicker you can get on board with that, the more fun that you have with this. Um, yeah, I I had I had a good time with this. I really liked Willa Fitzgerald. I hadn't seen her in anything else. I believe she's in the TV show of Scream. She was she was the lead in that. But they have really cracking chemistry. They have a really nice time. I like that he is kind of corny and funny as well, and doesn't take himself too seriously, in spite of being hopelessly serious um yeah i just i just had the most fun i I think i'm gonna watch every episode of this i just Mm. i just loved it yeah really good fun and then also have the advantage of not watching the book um reading the books so i don't have to worry about the flashbacks and stuff i can just enjoy Mm. that as as kind of yeah yeah the flashbacks 
did not sit well with no. me no, at no, all. No. no, there was only one in the first episode, I think. No. Yeah, but they're quite regular they're all the way through oh, the series. So like you get flashbacks oh, to Reacher as a teenager, oh, and no. it's just no one needs this backstory at all. And no, there's no, one no, bit, no, no. there's one sequence in this, and I'm just going to say it's not a spoiler. There is a CGI tear at oh, one point on someone's <laughs> face, which genuinely might be the worst thing I've ever seen. But uh, but other than that, and the flashbacks, like this, this, I mean, it's an absolute riot. I think it's brilliant, yeah. and I will say like this, this, I'm going to hold this up here. This is the affair, which is one of the uh, the Jack Reacher books, and uh, and you will see here it is signed here by Lee Chard for the general because there is a general in here called Brigadier General James Dyer, uh, and I like to think he's named after me. I mean, if I'd known you were going to show off your signed Jack Reacher books, I would have no. got some of mine out. Oh no! I, I will say this though. I will say this. Best I've got ahead of the house. This this uh, reacher off, so to speak. But I have not gone back. Considering there are what like 25, 26 reacher novels now, I've yeah. not gone back and reread the first one multiple times. Like James, we all all hail classic James Dyer behaviour in rereading a book of parts of twenty six other books to read. Anyway, they still reread the first one multiple times. You it's stand so good, alone. Though. It's so good. But you're right. You are right. He's not monosyllabic. He's kind of, he basically doesn't say anything unless he needs to, and then yeah. he will be loquacious and, then he's and got amazing. All the information. Of course. Yeah. There's famously, there's one of the books where he goes to London and he gives yes. a, like a half page history of Boots the Chemist. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely like, brilliant. What is this? Brilliant. <laughs> but, like, well, of course, Boots was founded in. <laughs> I will just quickly say, I think the fight sequences, which are so key to the Reacher books, you know, that Lee Child is the master of writing yeah. the fight sequences. They're so brilliantly, meticulously done. Done. And I thought they did a really good job of transferring those to screen in, in the series. Yeah, really good job. I, you're absolutely right because there's a Reacher has a very specific way of fighting. It's yeah. very brutal. It's very economical, and it's very preemptive a lot of the time as well. And that comes across really quick. Like the fight sequences are often not always, but they're often very very quick. The very over very fast because yeah. he just annihilates someone, yeah. leaves them in a pool of their own blood on the floor, and it's just like blink and you've missed it. Like he's elbowed them three times in the head and they're unconscious, and that's it. Um, um, but yeah, there's, there is something. I mean, look, there's a there's an element of slightly basic wish fulfillment to this. You know, it's that sense that like all of us wish that we could jack reacher our way out of every situation. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's glorious. It is glorious to put yourself in his enormous shoes uh, for these eight episodes. Um, yeah, I, I I can't recommend it enough. Reacher season one then, which drops on Amazon Prime on the fourth of February. Finally, this week, we have Chloe on BBC One, which sees Erin Doherty as a woman with a social media addiction who inserts herself into the lives of some of her Instagram follows after one particular such, an influencer, the titular Chloe, suddenly dies. Beth, did you like this? See what I did there? So it's like. It's it was like, very you know, good. Like, it was yeah, I'm just really good. glad you didn't um, already say my punchline, which is Ingrid goes West Country, which is what <laughs> this is. So it's set in, uh, I think it's set in Bristol. If not, that's completely ruined the joke. But um, yes, this uh, has a real, if you've not seen Ingrid goes West, by the way, I, I thoroughly implore you to seek it out. It's got Aubrey Plaza in it and it's very dark and a lot funnier than this is. So this is this leans a lot more heavily into a kind of mystery thriller element. And yes, it's about um, Becky, who's played by Erin Doherty, who's uh, Princess Anne in the, the later seasons of The Crown. Um, and yes, she sort of wiggles her way into this, um, this group of quite elite um, young people after um, one of their own 
allegedly commits suicide. We don't know if she has, we don't know if she hasn't, but we find out because, oh God, and even this, this pushed me a little bit too far. We found out she's died because she's posted some uh, lyrics from a Smiths song on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or, yeah, or, or this kind of BBC approved version of Instagram, um, which is, yeah, that's that's how the, the penny drops. And this is what spurs Becky to kind of put on some nice clothes and pretend to be this quite waspy young lady um, to figure out what's happened to this woman who she may or may not have a history with. Um, this has got a really nice young energy behind it. So it's Alice Seabright, as you say, that the directed this, who's worked on things like sex education. Um, and it feels very, it's a little bit scrappy, I would say, in that I don't think it's a very polished um, thriller show necessarily, but I like that it's got ambition and yeah, it's got this kind of this kind of reinvigorated genre behind it. Um, and I think that so this this girl Becky, she has sort of two faces she has to play. She has this kind of which she slips between seamlessly, to be fair. So she has to kind of project this air of, of being this sort of newly arrived young woman who's come back to look after her mum. Uh, she's telling these these very rich people that she worked in Japan and she's come back. And so she has to be quite lovey and go to yoga and wear very light shades that she absolutely will not spill on and like has to kind of, yeah, project this air of privilege. And then in real life behind closed doors, she's kind of mousy and works um as a temp and her mum actually is ill her mum has um i think dementia or alzheimer's um she's yeah she she struggles um and i think she pivots between the two very well um yeah it's it's got me so far it's a great central performance it's got an interesting take on social media. Again, scrappy. I think it is a little bit flawed sometimes in some of the writing, but I think it's it's fresh and interesting. I really liked it, actually. And I think, um, I mean, I have to admit that anything that uses Smith's lyric as a central plot point <laughs> is fine by me. Um, so, yeah, the use of um, To Die By Your Soul is a heavenly way to die from, of course, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out, one of the greatest songs ever written, is interesting. But more important than that, I think that Alice C. Bright is a, along with her team, which includes Kaylee Llewellyn, um, uh, Poppy Kogan, and others, um, have done a really good job of taking what could be a really clunky thing. That when you, I think, when you dramatise social media, and as you say, it's a kind of, it's, they don't have the Instagram, the actual Instagram logo or title to them on the screen, but she's, you know, this character's life, the whole idea of it is she's living her life vicariously through these more privileged people on Instagram. And I often mm. think dramatising something like King Out being really clunky and cheesy, whereas they avoid, I think, all those traps really well. For me, I think the way it's made, the way it's written, and the way it's directed are really key. And I know what you mean about the scrappiness, but I think actually it helps it feel more authentic in a way. Yeah. What could, it, if yeah. it had been more slick and more you know i think and more polished if you like um i think it would have i think that that wouldn't have worked for this whole story and this whole idea but as it is her life is scrappy isn't it like you know one hand as you say she's dealing with her mother with dementia she's dealing with a temp job the, there's a bell end boss at work um you know and 
and I think I think there are, and I think this happens. I think there are people who are who are doing this exact thing, you know, looking at Instagram, seeing other people's lives, and 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 kind of thinking about them. Now, I think there is a there is a, a whole other layer of this story that we're about that we're going to find out as episodes go on. I, I've started episode two, and I think there's more. It's more complicated than the initial premise, if you like, um, may seem. But as she meets, as she, but I hope the whole idea of this of, of this of her wheedling her way into the lives of these, frankly let's face it, posh, privileged, middle to upper class types. I love all that stuff. I love the whole, mm. you know, got Jack Farthing in there who plays Prince Charles in Diana, you know, and he's brilliant at playing posh twats, basically. <laughs> and he is a fucking posh twat in this. He has this rant in this in this episode, which is completely ridiculous. Billy Howell, I think he's really good at the, as the more, the kind of a partner of the woman who's died. Pippa Bedit Warner, absolutely brilliant in everything. And she's the one that um uh Aaron Doherty's character, Becky, really hooks onto and kind of bumps into. She's she really does wheedle away into her life. So I'm intrigued, I'm fascinated. I think it's a really it feels incredibly, you know, as I say, it, it, it does the job of feeling very up-to-date and authentic and not a cheesy look at the world of social media in thriller form. And and I'm I'm very much on board. And I think Aaron Doherty is fantastic. I think she, as you say, she has to basically play about, you know, all lots of different variations on herself and who and whatever the fuck her actual self is and does that brilliantly. I didn't buy it. I can see James has issues, yeah. I didn't like it. I didn't mind the social media stuff. I thought actually that was handled quite well, especially when you had like, they used a sort of camera device whereby you see the still on Instagram and then it kind of comes to life as she imagines herself as being part of these people's lives. And that sort of weird, vicarious living by projecting yourself into the lives, into these kind of non-lives, because there were these sort of like hugely sanitized existences that people put on social media. Uh, all of that stuff sat with me. I think I just, I got a bit bored by the, her trying to insinuate herself in into their lives like I just didn't really buy it and on the one hand you've got this sort of like temp living with her mum who suddenly has this sort of nouse of a master spy at times like she's suddenly an art critic and she's doing this it's very polished the way she manages to pull off this sort of infiltration into their lives but on other points the people who she's trying to infiltrate are such colossal fucking idiots like no one makes friends that easily when they're that age like no one's going to invite some random from yoga back to the house for dinner especially if they keep turning up on the doorstep and I was just like this is just not believable like no no one is inviting you into like you come across like a lunatic no one is doing this and then there's a dinner party scene which i found a little bit excruciating because it just didn't feel organic and look i don't go to a lot of dinner parties maybe this is what this is like but it just the conversation didn't feel organic it felt a little bit stilted and artificial and i just i did maybe it's just me but i didn't buy it at all and it kind of it went to my whole thing where it's some watching this story it's like, i like the way this shot i like the way they've kind of done this but this whole infiltration thing that she's doing just doesn't ring true for me i didn't i just didn't believe it um so i yeah i must admit i my my attention was not firmly fixed on this all the way through Oh, I, I, I thought they handled those things. Really. She it. is, does she is, she is. I think her intensity and her her absolute commitment to getting to infiltrating their lives is what makes it work and what makes it. I I I, I bought into it totally, and and I think people do. I mean, you wouldn't make friends at this age. That's different. <laughs> I think perhaps I'm projecting. Yeah, I may be totally projecting. projecting. Yeah, you'd be like fuck off. But but the Go people, away. but these people, you see, these are polite <laughs> middle class oh, people. That's the point. So 
sociable being, people. Yeah, they're being nice and polite and sociable. So I think it is believable. I totally went along with it. So, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I will say that they, the plot point, the reason why she gets sucked into this in the first place, kind of intrigued me. Like, I want right. to know yeah. what her connection is to this person who has died. Like, that that interested me. Not enough yeah. to watch anymore, you understand. But but, <laughs> but it did interest Telling. me. I'm curious. So I'd like you to tell me at some point. Um, but anyway, Chloe airs... When does it air, Boyd? Tell me when Chloe airs. It ends on Sunday, next Sunday, the 6th of February at 9pm on the BBC One. Okay, on the BBC One it is. Uh, what else is out this week? Quite a few things, I think. So let's have a look. Dodger, which is the artful Dodger type show, which stars Christopher Eccleston, that airs on the BBC on, I think, Sunday, um, which has him and it has, uh, I think Christopher Eccleston is playing Fagin in there. Uh, and it's kind of, it's a comedy drama about the artful Dodger. It's a youth, it's, it's it's for younger people, I would say that show. By the way, yes, it's for just, the, it's for the youths. It's, I it's think it's youths. a CBBC production, I believe. Just saying, I mean, oh, just saying. It? Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's got Christopher Eccleston in. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah, you feel yeah. like getting your awful Dodger on, that's on on Sunday. Um, what else have we got this week? Well, I'll tell you, we've got there is on Channel Five. Uh, big. Uh, we we normally would have time for uh, this. But it's it runs across four nights. The teacher starring Sheridan Smith. It's a thriller in which she plays a um, secondary school teacher who has quite a fun-loving social life, and she is accused of having an affair with a 15-year-old pupil, played by Samuel Bottomley. And it's very interesting. It's written by Barunka Shaughnessy, co-wrote some of Motherland. And I think it's, I've watched the first episode. I thought it was really interesting. Um, that's The Teacher, Channel 4 Monday. There's The Curse on Channel 4 on Sunday at 10 o'clock, which is the coming together of top British comedy talents, James DeFond and Tom Davis, who created King Gary and Steve Stamp, Alan Mustafa, and Hugo Chegwin, who create people just do nothing. And it's like the two coming together in a 1980s set comedy caper. I've seen the first episode, it's great. And Tom Davis is fucking hilarious in it as an app. Genuinely... Would I enjoy it, Boyd? No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Beth would, because she's a woman of taste. <laughs> but... Getting that in a t shirt, thank you. Yeah, you probably wouldn't, that's all I'm saying. But I thought it was really, right. really funny and clever. Amazing 80s soundtrack. Suspicion starts on Friday yes. on Apple TV Plus, which you yep. said you yeah, watched which we loads this week, of. Which which we'll got, that is embargoed. Yes. Yeah. Now it is embargoed. I tell I can't tell you whether it's good or not. I can tell you that I've already watched six episodes of it. So make of that what you will. There you go. Uma Thurman is in that, isn't she? Mm. It's her yeah. She is indeed. I've yeah. also I've also might have watched some of it and I may carry on watching it, but I can't say why why. I can't say why I carry on watching it, but there's a lot of British people involved, aren't there? It's fascinating, isn't it? Like the, yeah, the, yeah, the it British is. Cool on they are from the Big Bang theories, isn't it? You're right, right. Yes. Um, I think that might be it. Well, critical role, colon, the legend of Vox Machina, or Machina, uh, that comes to Amazon Prime. Now, I don't know what this is. It is an animated show, but I hear that it is a big deal in the animated circles. So if only we had an expert. Beth, tell us all about critical role, colon, the legend of Vox Machina. I will not, no. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I've yeah, thought about it and I'm, not, I'm just not going to do I, it. I think it's... I think it's connected to another animated show my ignorance of this is absolutely vast so <laughs> I, I think this is a big deal it's probably really good if you're into your animation and or you know stuff you might like that power book four colon force while we're in the colon mood oh yeah uh comes to stars play now this is the power book whatever it is things just slightly baffle me like we did power didn't we review power book two ghost yes we that did. was the one we reviewed yeah didn't understand what was it's going the on power anyway. book universe is confusing i have to say i have to agree yes your show that you were banging on about murderville is on netflix oh, isn't yeah. it on the third yeah. 
Yeah, that yeah. is the American version of Mur- Murder and Successful, which is also a Tom Davis show. That is fascinating. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it looks really good with Will yeah. Arnett. Uh, season two of The Equalizer with Queen Latifah oh, comes yeah. to Sky Witness on the third. Uh, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, season 15. Comes wow. to Netflix, Ben. Can't believe you haven't mentioned that. Uh, that comes on the first. Mm. So, what is our pick of the week? Wildly, Reacher for me. Yes. Oh, not even <laughs> yes. wildly. Yeah, Reacher for me as well. Yes, it is a hundred percent Reacher. He came in with fists like supermarket turkeys and bludgeoned us into submission. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, well, that's it for this week's show. We do hope you enjoyed it. If you don't already follow the official Pilot TV social accounts, then now would be an excellent time to do so. As our social media editor Sophie is crushing it at the moment. Uh, she's got video clips on there from this very podcast. You can see our beatific faces as we kind of wax lyrical about Jack Reacher. Um, and she's been posting watch lists, weekly watch listen all sorts of other things so do head over to twitter and instagram and facebook uh, and follow us at pilot tv pod and if you are in the following mood you can find the three of us at james e dyer at boyd hilton and at beth k webb now on next week's show we will finally be able to talk about apple's suspicion i have a an inkling we might end up talking about josh hartnett thriller the fear index which is on sky and also this is going to hurt the adaptation of the famous nhs fellow comes to bbc one and there's a very strong possibility that we will have that book's author adam k on the show to tell us all about it but until that glorious moment pilot out <laughs>